0: Hey, creep, I want to tell you a tale, if you're ready to hear it. It may not be pleasant, it may not end the way you want it to, but this story is gripping and as fascinating as it is, shockingly horrifying. Are you ready? My name's Cole, and you're listening to Tales. It's late at night and you're bored. You have nothing to do. You've watched everything there is to watch on television. You've read every book you have. And the only thing you can manage right now is to stare at the walls. Even if you wanted to talk to someone, there isn't anyone home for you to talk to. You are alone and you are wasting away from boredom. You hear a knock at the door. It's a neighborhood friend. They say they have firecrackers and a little whiskey to make the weeknight go by just a little faster. You look behind you at the couch that has housed you for the last few hours, felt you bounce from cushion to cushion and heard you moan and complain that there isn't anything to do. So you put on your jacket and quickly join your friend to get up to no good. You've made it out of the residential area and out onto one of the busier streets. The night is brisk and your breath hangs in the air. You start to feel the cold pavement through the rubber soles of your shoes, but your heart is warm and bouncing erratically, irrationally excited to be out of the house, to be talking to someone, to be doing something anything. You don't know where you're going and you don't care. Your friend is taking the lead and that's half the fun. They reach into their pocket and grab a mickey of whiskey that sloshes back and forth in the bottle as he twists off the bottle cap, takes a swig grimacingly and passes the bottle to you. You follow their lead, taking a good long pull from the bottle. Filling your throat with fire, your stomach tenses and then releases, relaxing as the whiskey works its way into your body. You're young, and you're not supposed to be out this late, and you certainly shouldn't be drinking booze on a weeknight. But you don't care. Anything is better than being bored. Your friend points to a parking lot with one lone light in the middle, the warm halogen painting the side of the corner store and the lot with its two or three cars parked at the far corner in a warm yellow. Your shadows are long and goofy looking, or maybe they are just looking particularly funny at the moment because of the whiskey you just had. Reaching into a bulging pocket, your friend pulls out a lighter and firecrackers and with their other hand shoves the bottle of whiskey back towards your face, urging you to drink as they light the fuse of the firecrackers and throw the explosives to the concrete to watch them pop and crack and dance around. You laugh and clap and don't care that out of the corner of your eye you see the owner of the corner store popping his head out of the barred front door with a phone to his ear. A little while passes, you're talking, drinking, having a good time, and making some noise while doing it, each firecracker popping and echoing off the buildings. But just as you're about to pack up and go home, just as you've run out of booze and firecrackers, a car pulls up, unrolling its window, tearing you out of your warm halogen cocoon. The man in the driver's seat tells you he's an undercover cop and flashes a nondescript badge at you, telling you not to run. He gets out of the car, explaining to you how much trouble you're in. That if you just get in the car, he won't tell your parents. He won't arrest you and make you spend the night in jail. There are tears in your eyes. You can't believe the night ended up this way. You can't believe you followed your friend out to a parking lot at night to make noise and get drunk. You're ashamed thinking of how embarrassed your parents will be when they see you dragged to the front door by a police officer. You hang your head, and he opens the door to the back seat for you to get in, your friend close behind. You place your hand on the top of the door, one foot in, his hand on the top of your head so you don't bump your head on the frame. No, it's more like he's pushing you in, and quite hard. The parking lot is lit up by blue and red lights and a cop siren piercing the cool night air. The man startled looks up and runs off as two police cars bounce over the curb and into the parking lot. One following him and the other parking with a screeching halt beside you. If these are the police, who was that? Sound familiar? We've all broken the rules, we've all danced with fire, and when we get caught, most of us relinquish to authority, unhappy but willing to accept our punishment. We've all been reprimanded by our parents, told to listen reprimanded by teachers telling us to study but what we all fear especially if we've never had an encounter with them are the police but what happens if you are too willing to accept that authority what happens if it isn't a police officer at all tragically and sickeningly this is exactly what happened on march 19th 1999 to 22 year old cynthia vigil On the morning of March 19th, Cynthia Vigil was hooking in a parking lot in Albuquerque, New Mexico, when a man with a large mustache drove up to her in a camper van. She assumed he was a date looking for a good time, and after they discussed payment, and after she put the money in her shoe, he slapped a handcuff around Cynthia's wrist and told her she was under arrest for solicitation of sex work. He told her that he was an undercover police officer and pushed her into the back of his camper van. Cynthia tried to fight back, but between the mustache man and his female accomplice, they managed to subdue her and shocked her repeatedly with a cattle prod. The self-proclaimed undercover police officer drove Cynthia 150 miles south to a town called Elephant Butte, to a mobile home park, and to a soundproof trailer. The policeman took her out of the car and opened up the door to the trailer. Inside what was later discovered to be affectionately called his toy box was a gynecologist's table in the center, stirrups and all. From the walls hung medical instruments, cattle prods, whips, and other sexual instruments. With the help of the female accomplice, the man who had posed as a cop strapped Cynthia Vigil to the gynecology table. They then left her bound, "'gagged and helpless while he played a tape recording, "'one in which he described all the terrible things "'that were to follow.
1: "'Hello there. "'Are you comfortable right now? "'I doubt it. Wrists and ankles chained, "'gagged, probably blindfolded. "'You are disoriented and scared too, "'I would imagine.' perfectly normal under the circumstances. For a little while at least, you need to get it together and listen to this tape. It is very relevant to your situation. I'm going to tell you in detail why you have been kidnapped, what's going to happen to you and how long you'll be here. I don't know the details of your capture because this tape is being created July 23rd, 1993 as a general advisory tape for future female victims. The information I'm about to give you is based on my experience dealing with captives over a period of several years. If at a future date there are any major changes in our procedure, the tape will be upgraded. Now you are obviously here against your will, totally helpless. Don't know where you're at, don't know what's going to happen to you. You're very scared or very pissed off. I'm sure that you've already tried to get your wrists and ankles loose. And no, you can't. Now you're just waiting to see what's going to happen next. You probably think you're going to be raped. And you're sure right about that. Our primary interest is in what you've got between your legs. You'll be raped thoroughly and repeatedly in every hole you've got. Because, basically, you've been snatched and brought here for us to train and use as a sex slave. Sound kinda far out? My lady friend and I have been keeping sex slaves for years. We both have kinky hangups involving rape, dungeon games, etc. We found that it's extremely convenient to keep one or two female captives available constantly to satisfy our particular needs. We are very selective when we snatch a girl to use for these purposes. It goes without saying that you have a fine body and you're probably young, maybe very young. Because for our purpose, we prefer to snatch girls in the early to mid-teens, sexually developed but still small-bodied, scared, and easy to handle, easy to train.
0: Serial predators preying on vulnerable members of society seems to be a reoccurring theme on this podcast and in the tales I tell, whether that be a child or elderly person who can't fight back or people who live on the fringes of society like sex workers. These serial predators are cowards by nature, victims of their own past traumas in many cases who seek to empower themselves in grotesque and twisted ways. In the case of sex workers, and you and I have spoken about this before, one of the most endangering aspects of their lifestyle is our preconceived notions, our biases towards them. Often it's said that they aren't reliable due to their drug addictions, and in many cases that's sadly true. But not every sex worker is a drug addict. In any case, their claims shouldn't be discarded as mere fantasy. These members of our society do have families. They are loved and they are missed. Unfortunately, their transient nature makes it hard to tell when they are in fact missing. If by any chance you are one of these individuals who live outside the normal societal constraints, regardless of your situation, please let your family know you're okay. Do it for me, but more importantly, do it for yourself and for your family. Over the next three days, Cynthia was subject to cruel, disgusting torture. She was raped repeatedly, drugged, hung from the ceiling, and electrocuted until she lost consciousness. But after three days, the man who had abducted her had to return to work and thought that Cynthia would be too exhausted, too broken and battered to cause any trouble. So he removed the handcuffs and shackles before he left, but kept her chained safely to the wall. Later that afternoon, the female accomplice received a phone call and while distracted left the keys on a coffee table. Cynthia saw this and feeling it was her only opportunity, slid and stretched and pulled hard against the chains trying to get that last inch to feel the cool steel of the keys under her fingertips. It was then that the female accomplice returned and saw what Cynthia was doing, seeing her reaching for the keys and grasping them. The woman wrestled Cynthia, trying to grab the keys back. The woman grabbed a lamp and then struck Cynthia with it. But in amongst the fighting and wrestling, Cynthia Vigil had grabbed the phone and dialed 911 and connected, but unable to communicate with the operator as the woman grabbed the phone from her and hung up. Cynthia used the distraction of the telephone and grabbed a nearby ice pick and slashed the woman across the face before finally unlocking herself and running.
1: Our fetishes and hangups include stringent bondage, dungeon games, a little sadism. Nothing serious, but uncomfortable and sometimes painful. Just a few little hangups that we like to use when we're getting off. <laughs> if you're a real young teeny bopper and ignorant about fetishes and deviations, you're about to get an enlightening crash course in sex. Who knows, you might like some of it. It happens occasionally. If we want to take the time and trouble even under these conditions, most women can be brought to orgasm. Now, I've already told you that you're going to be here a month or two, or maybe three if you keep us turned on. If it was up to my lady, we'd keep you indefinitely. She says it's just as much fun and less risky, but personally, I like variety. A fresh girl now and then to play with. We take four or five different girls each year depending on our urges and sometimes accidental encounters. Basically, I guess we are like predators. We're always looking.
0: You and I are sitting here once again witnessing the strength that exists in every single one of us. The strength to fight, to endure terrible, horrible events, to survive and see justice done. And that includes sex workers. That includes those who live on the fringes, the vulnerable. Cynthia was a sex worker, and because of that, she was disregarded as damaged and weak, the perfect prey. But as you and I have heard before, and as I'm sure we will discuss again in the future, It was her immense strength to be able to endure massive physical and mental torture and her ability to persevere, fight back, and escape that prevented many women from having the same thing done to them. And how eventually those in the past might receive justice and their families receive closure. On March 22, 1999, the arid, dusty community of Elephant Butte where just a single breath of air would be enough to dry your mouth and send you searching for water, was having a quiet, leisurely afternoon. The town which bordered the Elephant Butte State Park, the largest state park in New Mexico, a destination which attracted 100,000 tourists every year and a community of only 1,000, and home to the largest body of water in the state, a man-made lake. On that sleepy day down Springfield Boulevard, a woman, naked from head to toe, besides the collar and chain dangling from her neck, and the blood she was bathed in came running. Cynthia was confused, disoriented, and in shock. She ran around in circles, and one witness said it looked as if an invisible someone was chasing her. She didn't make a single noise as she moved frantically, but her eyes were darting, wild and feral. Not long before, Cynthia was discovered naked and covered in blood running in downtown Elephant Butte. The New Mexico-Sierra County 911 emergency dispatch had received her call, but when the operator answered, Cynthia was unable to answer back and make her plea, and the call was disconnected. The operator, concerned, called back, but this time, the woman who answered, the woman who had disconnected the call the first time, The woman who had been helping to torture and rape Cynthia answered and said the call was a mistake before hanging up. The 911 operator, to her credit, didn't let up. Sensing something was off, radioed law enforcement to perform a welfare check on the property at 513 Bass Road, which had come up when they received the call. Police arrived at the home and were met by a single story, double wide trailer, a yard filled with trash and a sign saying beware of dog, and another sign announcing the resident of the trailer, David P. Ray. They walked around the home seeing if anyone was about and just behind it was a 25 foot long trailer, windowless and white. It was protected by a steel enforced double deadbolt. While police were looking for the residents of 513 Bass Road, a separate pair of police were called to help Cynthia, who, naked and scared, had gone inside the home of a local couple and hidden, shaking and traumatized underneath their table. After police arrived to attend to Cynthia, they took her to Sierra Vista Hospital and called in the New Mexico State Police. When police gave her the opportunity to speak, she didn't hesitate and directed them towards the torture chamber on Bass Road. Police, now on the lookout for David P. Ray, apprehended David along with his girlfriend Cindy Hendy shortly after, who was still covered in blood from the gash on her head as they were driving around Elephant Butte looking for Cynthia. David Ray Parker had been a resident of the mobile home community where Cynthia had been held captive since 1993 in a town just across from Elephant Butte called Hot Springs Landing and worked as an armed state park officer and mechanic. The quiet lifestyle and laid-back atmosphere of the town he resided in that he had moved to for, that of Elephant Butte, shifted suddenly and dramatically the moment police stepped inside David's home. Hardcore pornography decorated the walls like one might hang a tasteful art piece, and there was an abundance of torture devices that cluttered the space. Clamps, whips, pliers, sex toys, clips, chains, hooks, cameras, harnesses, muzzles, handcuffs, and more. There was surgical equipment like scalpels and homemade devices littered amongst it all, and a box leaning against a nearby wall that looked an awful lot like a coffin. Police tried and failed to get into the large semi-trailer behind the mobile home and eventually resorted to calling a locksmith, and inside, investigators found Ray's own personal kingdom of sexual torture and pain, full of contraptions and devices all rigged up by himself. What they found inside David Ray's home paled in comparison to the contents of that trailer. There was a video camera placed in the corner pointed at the gynecological table to record the torture sessions, and everywhere littering the semi-trailer were drawings of Ray's twisted sexual fantasies and photographs of him performing the evil acts. There was a lockbox meant to be placed around his victim's head. There were spiked dildos and syringes, and on the wall in bold red lettering, on a white sign, were the words, Satan's Den thanks to Cynthia Vigil's escape, police were now pouring through the mountain of evil which was David Ray's past. Investigators discovered a video from 1996 that depicted the torture of another victim. Police publicized the ankle tattoo of the victim and the woman was identified as Kelly Garrett, who had once been a friend of Ray's daughter, Glenda. When questioned, Garrett told police that on July 24, 1996, she'd gotten in a fight with her husband and hit the bars to blow off steam, meeting up with Glenda at Blue Water Saloon, just five miles south of Elephant Butte. That night, Glenda Ray drugged her drink, took her home to her father's trailer, and she was tortured for two days before Ray dumped her. Except when she returned, her husband accused her of cheating the two days she had been missing, and no one believed her. Her story was just too crazy. But what I find crazier and harder to believe than her story is what happened when Angelica Montano came forward with her story after the arrest of David Ray was publicized on national television. On February 21st, 1999... Angelica Montana was hitchhiking along Interstate Highway 25 when an off-duty sheriff's deputy driving north came across her outside of a town called Truth or Consequences, ironically enough. The off-duty deputy pulled over for Angelica offering her a ride. She was headed to Albuquerque roughly two hours away. Angelica, most likely in shock from her ordeal, began divulging what had just happened to her to the officer, going into detail about the kidnapping, the rape, and torture at the hands of David Parker and his girlfriend and accomplice, Cindy Hendy. She continued to tell the officer that her captives set her free on the condition that she tell no one what happened to her and just let her loose on the side of the road. Skeptical of the tale, he offered to take her to the police station. But she refused, and already skeptical, the officer didn't push any further into the matter. David Ray faced three separate trials, one for each of the identified victims. His first trial was for his crimes against Cynthia, and it ended in a mistrial. But when retried, Ray was convicted on all 12 counts he had been charged with. In the second trial, David Ray made a deal with the prosecutors to keep his daughter out of prison for her role in drugging and luring victims back to him, and under a plea deal, he was given 223 years in jail. Glenda Ray, his daughter, for her part as an accomplice in his heinous crimes, only received two and a half years in prison and five years probation for drugging and collecting her father's victims. Angelica Montano died sadly before she was able to receive justice for what was done to her. One last note before we get to the end of this tale, there is one more detail I feel I need to bring to light. During the trials, a man named Dennis Yancey was also questioned for his role in the kidnapping, rape, and torture of these women. Dennis Yancey confessed to strangling Marie Parker, his ex-girlfriend david ray had kidnapped marie and tortured her before ordering yancey to murder her which yancey did by strangulation her body was never found but dennis yancey was convicted of second degree murder and conspiracy to commit first degree murder in total that's david ray parker and three accomplices to his crimes and sadly the justice served to david parker was short-lived as he died in prison from a heart attack in 2002 less than a year after his conviction justice was short lived for Cindy Hendy as well as she was only required to serve less than half her 36 year sentence and because she served parole in prison is under no obligation to disclose to police where she lives currently since then other possible victims of David Ray Parker have come to light some living and some missing and presumed dead Remember, the cassette recording he had played for Cynthia was recorded in 1993, and the earliest victim you and I have spoken about was 1996. That leaves three years unaccounted for, and God knows how many victims over how many years before that was even recorded. Unfortunately, the depths of his crime will never be known, and the silent voices of his victims may never be heard. Their stories remaining untold. So, Creep, that brings us to the end of our tale. If you enjoyed today's story, please leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. They are so incredibly important in increasing the audience and getting these stories out. And more importantly, every single five-star review gets me one step closer to getting out of my mother's basement. You can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook All at Tales by Cole. This episode was written and narrated by myself, Cole Weavers, and production and editing by Matt Black. And remember, creeps, take care of one another, stay safe, and don't forget to lock the door.